to Mark chapter 4, Pew, Pew Bible, the page number is 1190, 1190, Mark chapter 4. What a storm we have been through. Obviously, some of us in going through this storm were greatly affected by it and still are uh, affected by it in many different uh, major concerns that we face. Others of us perhaps were barely affected by the storm and we just basically had to stay in for a day and a half. But we know that this is typical of a certain type of storm that we can go through. It's a storm that has to do with meteorological challenges, but we know there are many other kinds of storms that we are called to go through in life. Some of them can be an emotional storm when a, uh, a relationship dissolves, when someone that we care about and love very dearly dies, um, when there are economic storms that we, some of us have been through where all of a sudden there's no money and no sight of any money coming in and we become very much in a state of panic and tremendous amount of stress. Uh, others of us have gone through physical storms. I was thinking and reading about one earlier um, this week from a family called uh, a guy named Jeff Leland talked about a storm that started the day that he learned that his son Michael had a form of leukemia. And the doctor informed him that his son would require a bone marrow transplant. And the way he described his reaction to that I thought was very interesting as a reaction to the kind of storm that just hits you uh, without much warning. He says two words, leukemia and transplant, combine in a sledgehammer to punch my gut. He says the idea rocks me on my heels. Cancer, terminal cancer, an unspoken terror of every parent. The shock leaves me groping for words, yet desperate for information. Alone, in silence, and suffering the heartache of crushing fear. My deepest question is simply, why? Why, Michael, this precious little baby boy? What has he done to deserve this? Why not the child abuser, the drug pusher, the criminal? Why not me, he asks. God, are you still there? Do you still love us? Are you still in control? How can this be? Perhaps you can identify with that kind of reaction when you are hit by a storm. Maybe you've been asking that question this week. Uh, perhaps there have been times in life you have asked that question. And I think back to a book years ago written by Phil Yancey in which he said, oftentimes when the storms of life come in great ferocity, people will quickly ask the question, where is God? Where is God? And of course, one of the things that Yancey says in that book has to do with Jesus Christ. When the waves of grief, sadness, and loss come crushing over the boat of our lives, as it were, we need to turn to Christ. I want us to think about Christ this morning because any answer we give to the question about suffering, about the storms of life that we all have gone through, perhaps are going through, or you will go through, it all boils down somehow to Jesus is critically helpful and important in understanding as a piece of that biblical puzzle to understand suffering, we've got to understand the incarnation of Jesus Christ. 
the God who lives in the heavenlies, took on human flesh, and he lived among us. He lived in the midst of sinful, a fallen world where there are tragedies, where there's sorrow, and where there's pain. And Jesus, as God in human flesh, entered into our world, and he actually suffered. That's an important concept to understand. So hopefully you have your Bible open, and we're looking at Mark chapter 4, and begin reading in verse 35. And on that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to them, his disciples, let us go over to the other side, meaning the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And leaving the multitude, they took him along with them, just as he was in the boat. The other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat, so much that the boat was already filling up. And he himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And when they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? I'm sure they didn't say it with that calm voice. Sorry, I should have read that with a little more enthusiasm. Teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? And being aroused, he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you so timid? How is it that you have no faith? And they became very much afraid and said to one another, Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? We're going to look this morning again at this very important concept of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And I want us to think about this this idea of a a simple phrase that always is associated with Jesus' coming in human flesh. It's a phrase that I hope will help us when our lives are tossed to and fro in the storms of life. A very simple phrase. I hope you'll walk away with this in your mind, if nothing else today. God with us. God with us. That's your outline today. You've already got the outline. God with us. First point, God with us. You see, the account of this Jesus calming the storm reads like you would expect it to read in the sense that it's historical narrative. And so it's written in a way that doesn't appear to be a fable. It doesn't appear to be some fantasy story that's been recorded here. Mark is careful to mention details that only an eyewitness would include in this account. For example, notice that he mentioned that there were other boats that went along with Jesus and that Jesus was in the stern, not just asleep, but he's asleep on a cushion. Interesting little details that Mark adds because he's getting the story from an eyewitness, Peter, whose vivid memory and recollection of this obviously significant event in his life when he thought he was going to die Uh, on a very familiar place, the North Shore, the Sea of Galilee, all these things have the sense of real history. These things really took place. And the passengers on that boat were feeble, finite, mere mortal men. And they experienced real fears, and they experienced uh, the real terrors of being on that boat in a real storm uh, at sea. There are no hints, again, of a parable or any kind of myth here. And what we read here is an account about real people getting into a boat with the real Sea of Galilee. They're blown about by real wind. They're buffeted by real waves. 
And the storms on the Sea of Galilee, by the way, and let's just pause here just as a background, as an understanding about how could such a storm take place? How could it, how could it be that fierce of a storm? Well, the fact is that these storms on the Sea of Galilee are notorious in their fury and intensity and the speed with which they can kick up. Very quickly, all of a sudden, here comes a storm. And you say, well, how is that? Well, scientists have studied that area, and they can tell you, and based on the geographical features of that area, that the Sea of Galilee is located 800 feet below sea level, and that it's surrounded by a series of mountains. So think of it as a bowl. Below at the bottom of the bowl is the Sea of Galilee, and here are all these mountains on all the sides of it around that kind of thing. And so when you think about these gusts of wind, they're coming through the valleys of the mountains, coming down through the mountains, and sweeping down into the lower level, sending uh, all of this gusts of wind, and therefore it is a reality. It still happens. It has happened in the past. It is a real phenomenon. Now, what do we know beyond just the facts of the story? What do we need to know in terms of growing here? Jesus, in order to bring about growth in the relationship of his disciples with him, he told them to go with him across the lake. They'd done it a number of times. And here he is traveling by boat through the storm. This is key now. This traveling by storm across the lake was Jesus' divinely appointed lesson plan. Jesus is on a task. He wants his disciples to learn some important lessons. And so he's able to use the darkness, the raging winds, the tumultuous waves to lead these newly recruited disciples into deeper trust in himself. And God desires to work in the lives of ordinary people like you and me to bring about growth in our faith as well. There's a big difference between academic faith, what we know, and the reality of everyday faith, as was alluded to earlier, uh, everyday faith in terms of what we call battlefield faith, when it's really being put to a challenge. Here are these disciples. If you look ver- earlier in the text, verses 30 and 32, Jesus had taught some, some lessons to them verbally. He had given some instruction to them. He talks about having a faith, the power of a mustard seed faith. And perhaps having listened to that lesson by Jesus, they're going, oh yeah, okay, just a little bit of faith, but that's going to make us powerful in order to do great things. And yet here comes a situation, not looking forward, they didn't know what's going to happen, they didn't know the weather report like we do, they didn't know any kind of advanced warning, all of a sudden they're in the midst of this storm. And aren't we like them, that some days we're like unshakable in our faith, you hear a good sermon, you, you read a good book, you have a time in your quiet time in the morning, you're like, Yes, Lord, I'm trusting in you. And then before the day's even out, this unshakable confidence in the Lord has just, what, gone out the window. And perhaps you can relate to that in this situation. I heard about the story, a funny story years ago, of a newscaster who had to acknowledge her own uh, situation, her own experience with some humor. As she told a story about herself, she said she admitted that after end of a work day, uh, she, her, she gets off late at night. She was walking in an urban setting uh, a number of blocks in order to get to her car in order to drive home. And uh, in the course of that walk, she knew that she was vulnerable to someone who might attack her. And so she took the time to take some martial art uh, classes. And so she armed herself with a number of these uh, martial arts skills. 
Well, there was one night in which it was raining. She's walking down on her way to her car in the parking garage. And sure enough, coming out of a dark alley, here comes someone uh, reached out and tried to grab her purse. And what does she do? Well, like most of us, she goes back into the mode of forgetting everything she learned, takes her umbrella and whacks the guy over the head as many times as she can. She's screaming like a mad woman and, uh, and just forgot anything about martial arts. Isn't that sort of like us in the life we live, in our life of faith? Is that we can know the answers. That's one thing. But in terms of how we live or live out the answers that we know in our mind, in terms of our faith in everyday life, it's quite another matter indeed. And I'm convinced that some things God cannot teach us in just a lesson in which it's addressing only our minds. He has to lead us into the storms of life to teach certain lessons about what it means to trust Him. Turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, just for a second, page 1373 in your pew Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. It's a fascinating acknowledgement on the part of Apostle Paul as he assures his readers there in Corinthian church what's been happening to him and the kind of trials and storms he had been through himself. I'm going to pick it up in verse 8, but you really should read the whole section there, 3 through 11, but I'm going to read 8 through 10. Paul says, We do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia. What happened to him? Well, he says, We were burdened excessively. This is not a small issue, a small problem he went through. We were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we even despaired of life. He thought he was going to die. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves. Now watch this. He says, it's as if we knew we were going to die in order that. That is a phrase that means the purpose. Why did he feel like he came to the point which he thought he was going to die? He was there for a reason, he says, and the purpose of that was that we should not trust in ourselves, but trust in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us, he on whom we have set our hope. What Paul says is that we went through a situation where we almost died, but that was a purpose that God led us there in order to learn to trust him, the God who can even raise the dead. See, adversity is God's school of instruction. And all of us need to be educated in God's school of adversity. Why? Because all of us are limited in our understanding. We're oftentimes blinded by our pride and our lack of patience and our stubbornness. And therefore, we tend to sort of fall back and rely on our own strength, our own wisdom. And God at times will lead us into the darkness, into the storms, which will oftentimes overwhelm us in order to teach us to trust Him more. I've been walking around in the neighborhood in the last few days, as I do in the early morning hours, and I've noticed, of course, as you've probably noticed, a number of trees down uh, everywhere you go. And I've noticed that some of these trees are oaks. They are really hardwood trees, not just the pines, but the hardwood oaks. And you'll notice that some of them, when they fell, they appeared to be, on the outside, healthy, strong, vibrant trees, those oak trees. But once they fell over, you realize the reason that one fell over and not the, the six of them around that other tree 
was why? Because inside of that oak tree, there was a disease. There was something that was rotten in there. There was a sense of which it was sort of dying in the middle of the tree. And the storm revealed its weakness and vulnerability. The storm revealed that there was something going on inside of the tree that was not the way it should have been. And so therefore, oftentimes, we, outside of a storm, we appear self-reliant. We appear as people who are strong and have our act together. But the storm is God's means by which, in accordance with His wisdom, He chooses to bring us into storms so that He might reveal our hearts. That He might have it clear that oftentimes we are very much relying upon ourselves. And so it's interesting to notice that the problem that God wants us to, to be dealing with is not just the problem on the outside. He's wanting us to address the heart issues in our own lives. Interestingly enough, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4 talks about a corruption that's in our world, but it's a corruption that is rooted in our desires. The desires of our hearts are the real issues as to why our world has gotten to where it is today. It's not the other way around. It's not the world that has made us people who have bad desires. It's us who have desires that have made the world as corrupt as it is today. And oftentimes when the storms of life come, it reveals what our real desires are. The reasons that we become angry and frustrated and depressed oftentimes has to do with beliefs and with values of things that we are craving in our hearts that we're not able to attain or, or uh, to actually gain and therefore, we're beginning to find that our worship has been directed to somewhere and someone else other than the true and living God. And in these moments, we found that God in His wisdom, when you step back and look back at the big picture, if you look at your growth chart, spiritually speaking, over a long period of time, would you say that you could look back and say, there has been a growth spurt in my life when I went through that trial, when I had that diagnosis of a malignancy, when I went through that crisis with my child, my daughter, or my son, when I went through that economic real storm in my life, that was a time when God advanced me. I, I grew at that point. I prayed more than I ever had before. And you begin to see that that God in his wisdom has led us into the storm. Well, let me look at the second point here. God with us. As I began to reread this text, looking at verse 35 and 36, I was quite impressed to notice that there's almost like a little theme here developed here. Notice he says in verse 35, let us go over to the other side. Let us. He didn't just say, you, you go over there. Then he, they took him along, verse 36, along with them, just as he was, in the boat, and the other boats were with him. Jesus did not send his disciples away by themselves. He didn't isolate himself from the throngs and from the disciples, but Here's the Son of Man right there with them, encouraging them to get away to a place that was not populated. What I find so reassuring as I read the passage is that ordinary people, these ordinary men, just like you and me, they were accompanied by the God who transcends all. Here's Jesus with them in the middle of this storm. He was right there with them in the dark. He was right there with them in the storm. He was right there with them in the midst of the howling winds. He was right there with them as the boat filled with water. He was right there with them in the peril and in the danger. And so often, when we get into storms of life, we conclude that we are alone. Like the disciples, we oftentimes begin to question 
because we feel alone or we feel somewhat alienated, we feel as though our vulnerability increases our level of fear and therefore we begin to question, where is God, where is God? And next thing you know, we say something like this, teacher, don't you care that I'm perishing? So often we assume God must not, not know how bad things are since he's up there in heaven, he's far removed from those stormy seas of suffering that we're going through. Or worse yet, we begin to question his character. You must not care about me, because look what happened. And such unbelief is sustained as long as we overlook the biblical record of God's presence. The stabilizing, immovable anchor of our souls is the Word of God, not our emotions, not our assumptions. It's the Word of God. The Scriptures are the rock which cannot be moved. They provide us firm footing when everything else around us is raging. And when sorrows and sadness and suffering are about to capsize our lifeboat, we must grab a hold of something solid, something that has sure footing. It is the Word of God. Someone has said, the level of worry in our own hearts is most often a reflection of the level of trust we have in Christ. The level of worry in our hearts is most often a reflection of the level of trust we have in Christ. And Christian trust, the trust that we have in God, is seeing events from God's perspective, from heaven's perspective. Whereas worry is seeing life and the situations in life here only from a limited human perspective. We see life as if God is not a factor in the situation at all. Well, we'd be wise to remember that Jesus experienced a number of severe testings and trials similar to the ones you and I face yet without sin. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4, just a second. I want to remind us of Jesus and him being with us, understanding what it is to be tested and tried. Hebrews chapter 4, page 1423. Beginning in verse 14. Before I read it, I just want to emphasize one thing. The word translated tempted in the New Testament can be translated either tempted or tested, either one. And depending on the context is the way you try to figure out which one it means. Well, I think it means tested in this situation. I'll show you why. But let's look at Hebrews 4, 4 verse 14. Since then we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been, I would say, tested in all things as we are, yet without sin. And let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. When we're faced with darkness in the middle of a storm, we need to remember Jesus has been there and he's with me now. In the storms where we've lost control, we've lost our bearings, we don't know exactly how we're going to make it through all this thing. Remember, Jesus has been there, and he's here with us now. In the raging waves, when our security is threatened, Jesus has been there. He is with us now. Unbelief oftentimes will cloud the face of God. We'll lose sight of the fact that God is with us. But faith opens our eyes to see his presence in the midst of the storm. And so again, the lesson for us to learn here is that God is truly with us, even in the middle of the storm. 
Third point here, and I'm just drawing to a conclusion here, and that is the, it's to emphasize that it's God with us. It is God with us. And the more, of course, you meditate on this, when you think about it, if the incarnation is true, that is, if God, in the person of Jesus Christ, eternal, eternally existent Jesus Christ, comes and is by the Holy Spirit, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, and takes on human flesh, if that is true, and it is, then every other miraculous occurrence associated with Jesus is what? Is logical and reasonable as a flowing out uh, from that particular reality. That is, if Jesus is who he says he is, that is, the one sent from God, and who is God in human flesh, then we should expect him to have great power. We should expect him to be able to do great things. And so, indeed, it's true. All power belongs to Christ. So if you'll notice how Jesus speaks to the wind and the fierce gale strength winds, he says to them, hush, be still. Hush, be still. The word, same word translated there is also found in Mark chapter 1, verse 25, and he, it could also be translated when he's talking about uh, demonization and how he's trying to help this person. It could almost be translated also the word muzzle. It's like, I'm just going to sort of clamp down on you and calm you right down. And so he says, hush, be still. Interestingly enough, here is Jesus calming winds and waves. It is spoken of God in the psalmist, Psalm 89, O Lord of hosts, who is like you, O mighty Lord? You rule the swelling of the sea, and when its waves rise, you still them. That's only something that God could do. Uh, also, we read in Psalm 107, verse 29, God caused the storm to be still so that the waves of the sea were hushed. Only God could do that. And so when we see in this situation, of course, we see a revelation of who is the one who was on that boat. It is God. God in the person of Jesus Christ. And so he is the one who calms that great storm. And the miraculous dimension of Jesus' action of calming that wind and the waves is what's amazing here. Not just the, way, not just the wind, but immediately he brought about the calming of the waves. Now, I happen to know I'm not a nautical person. Uh, I do have a lot uh, hard knock, knock, you know, up here, but uh, I'm not a nautical person. But I'm, I'm told that if you have a great storm at the seas, on any big body of water, it's going to take a while for those waves to calm down, even if the wind stops. But what's amazing here is that immediately, having calmed the wind, the waves also became calm. And so the boat is still sitting in, in, in just stillness and in calmness. It must have been incredible. It must have been an amazing phenomenon to experience in the darkness. And, and you think about it, it reminds us of how the re no wonder they reacted at the end there. They're afraid. They said to each other, verse 41, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey this person, Jesus of Nazareth? And, of course, the reality is that Jesus does have all power, even over nature. We read in Colossians 1, In Jesus all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible. All things have been... Uh, and then he says... Um, all things have been created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He has incredible power. And only God can control 
the weather and the seas, and his strength is not limited like ours. And when we are weak, when we've lost our zeal, because the storm has worn us out, there's one whose power you can draw upon, power that is greater than the force of the, uh, than any force we may face in this world. The storm will not last forever. That's another thing I like to meditate on this text. The storm will not last forever. There's a sense in which because of Christ's incarnation, he has put in motion his great plan of redemption that is going to bring to an end suffering, un- injustice. He's going to bring to an end all of the fallen the parts of our world and the experience we go through, of everything we long for to be changed and made right, there is the promise of the one who will still the storm of the fall that we deal with day after day after day. No wonder Paul prayed for the Ephesians that they would know this power of the one whose power is so great. He prayed in Ephesians 1. He prays, I know you would know what is the surpassing greatness of God's power toward us. We who believe, in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from what? From the dead. The resurrection is a reminder again of the greatness of God's power to help us when we're weak and enable us to do what logically we would never be able to do, to rejoice even in suffering, rejoice in trials, to be able to find strength when we have no strength of our own. Lastly, I want to point out here, the the sub-point here under the fact that it's God with us is to realize that all knowledge belongs to Christ. All knowledge belongs to Christ. You get the idea here in this storm that the the most dangerous storm the disciples perhaps had ever experienced. And for them to panic meant that this must have been a very high intensity storm, right? I mean, these people are not... Uh, novices when it comes to nautical things. They've been on the water many, many nights, many, many times, many storms. But for them to turn to an exhausted Jesus and to beg him to help them because fear had gripped their hearts and they thought they were going to die, it must have been a huge storm. And Jesus' question then, after he, they, they demand that he do something and they're, they're seeking help, look at the insight he had into their hearts. He's not just dealing with the fact that they were frightened. His greater issue he's looking about, he's concerned with, is the issue of their lack of faith. Why are you so timid? Verse 40. How is it that you have no faith? The spirit of timidity needed to be replaced with a spirit of awe of the one who would calm the storm and also who knew their thoughts and fears. And rather than be afraid, Jesus wanted them to learn to fear or to revere and to, to, to in a sense, respect him. And I find this to be a great comfort in my heart because many times I am afraid and many times I am in a panic when it comes to different storms of life that have hit our family and myself over the years. And that's 2 Timothy 1.7. God has not given us a spirit of fear. If I am afraid, then the reason I'm feeling so deathly afraid of all the variables of things that I feel like I'm losing control of my life, it's not from fear from God. He has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. And that's what I'm praying God will work in us as we learn to be confident of the one who is with us, God with us, even in the midst of the storm. Let's pray.
Lord, we know that in the midst of this past week, there has been a literal storm to deal with, and we're still dealing with it on many different levels. But Lord, some of us deal with storms every day. Some of us are going through severe storms that have been raging for quite a while. Some of them have just gotten very intense. Others, Lord, have subsided for a while, and we're going to face another storm here not too long from now. I pray, Lord, that as we face the various storms of life, that we might once again admit humbly before you that we are vulnerable, we are weak, we are in need of help. And to see, Lord, that you oftentimes in love and in your wisdom, you bring to us a storm in order to teach us lessons. Lessons that remind us of your love. Lessons that remind us of your power. Lessons that remind us of your incredible knowledge of us. You know us so well. You know what we need to learn, Lord. And also lessons of your grace and mercy shown to us, oftentimes because we, we fail and respond in such a poor way. But Lord, we thank you that you know what's best for us and that you never waste a storm in our lives. And I pray, Father, that you would take today the reminder of your great love for us and the great purpose of redemption. And you might once again remind us that you are God with us You've not come to bring condemnation, Lord, but to rescue us and to bring us, we pray, into that wonderful place where we know your peace and your grace and your mercy anew and fresh. We pray, Lord, for our time around the table this morning, the Lord's table, that we might be rejoicing in Christ and all that we have in him. We pray in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.